0: Hello, and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. She is a zealous advocate for her clients. Her entire practice is devoted to criminal defense and criminal justice litigation. She has lived, studied, and worked on both coasts of the United States and abroad in Malta. She is an outstanding athlete, having played Division I sports, and I can attest from personal experience, she is an outstanding cyclist. Melissa Adams, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer.
1: Good morning, Louis. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm happy to have you. I see you in court all the time, and I see you on the occasional bike event. And so it's fun to be able to interview you. Where is your office located right now?
1: My office is in Livermore, downtown Livermore.
0: And what kind of practice do you have?
1: We have a a small practice. There's myself and Joseph Cox, um, who is my esteemed business partner, and Tim Reen, who I know that a lot of people know, and he's been around for a long, long time. And I sort of describe him right now as being 99% retired. And we do all criminal defense.
0: How long have you been doing that?
1: Um, I've been practicing since 2005. So was that 16-ish years.
0: Where are you from originally, Melissa?
1: I'm originally from New York, about an hour north of New York City, which makes it sound a little bit fancy, but it's very, very suburban.
0: What's the name of the town?
1: The name of the town I grew up in is called Lake Peekskill. I mean, it's kind of at the top of a mountain. It's uh, interesting because it's really a summer town. That's what it was designed for originally, but we lived there year-round.
0: Is that where you went to high school?
1: I went to high school in a neighboring town because the town that I grew up in was actually so small that it didn't have its own high school. So (laughs) I went to a high school called Walter Panis High School, which was about a 40-minute drive.
0: How was that experience for you, going to high school?
1: You know, it was interesting. It was a, I would say, a challenging time in my life. You know, just sort of finding myself and, uh, you know, just the the ups and downs of being a teenager and and trying to figure out where you fit in the world.
0: Did you figure out anything about where you do fit in?
1: Not in my teens, I didn't. Not until my 20s, I would say, maybe even a little bit later. Yeah, high school was really interesting for me. I was kind of a punk rock and an athlete, which you're to sort of an interesting intersection, very different crowds. So I, I actually ran with two very different crowds, but I somehow managed to run with both of them. So yeah, I wasn't very focused on school. I was very focused on going to concerts and playing sports.
0: What bands did you like?
1: Oh, my favorite bands, then and now, are this pretty much the same. Rancid is an old punk rock band, ironically from here, generally from the Bay Area. They were my favorite then, they're my favorite now. And I'm actually going to see them for... I don't know, the many number of time here in October.
0: And what sports did you play?
1: In high school, I played basketball, field hockey, and softball, but my focus was always softball.
0: So you really were a three-sport person.
1: I was. I didn't play basketball in the latter years of my high school career because while playing field hockey, which is a fall sport on the East Coast, I broke my thumb pretty badly and had to have surgery and the long recovery. And so that took me out for a basketball season. And after that, I didn't, I didn't play again.
0: And yet you went on to play division one softball in college.
1: I did softball. I kind of viewed, I think growing up as like my meal ticket, you know, thankfully I was eh, talented enough, you know, to go play in college. And yeah, I was able to recover from the thumb surgery and uh, went and played in college. And it, it, I'll admit it was not, what I expected. I often would joke and say my summer softball travel team would have kicked my college team's ass. Uh, really? My college team just wasn't that good.
0: Where did you yeah. go to college?
1: I went to St. Bonaventure University, uh, which is in upstate New York. If you've ever played softball, which you know maybe you, you haven't, upstate New York is not the place that you want to play softball because we would have games routinely snowed out. Um, and there's nothing good about that.
0: Well, what I don't know about Playing softball, I could probably make up by knowing something about upstate New York since I went to the University of Rochester.
1: Oh, yes. Yes. The snow belt and the cold. Yeah, it's, I, I, I hate the cold, and I have no idea why I chose to go to school there.
0: We'll join the club. Did you have some a connection with the State University of New York at Geneseo?
1: I did. Yeah. So I went to St. Bonaventure for two years, where and that's where I played softball. And I just, I was burned out. And so I actually left there and I transferred to SUNY Geneseo. And that's ultimately where I graduated from.
0: Did you play ball there too?
1: I didn't. No, I I retired. Yeah, I felt I was really past my prime.
0: So you graduated then from Geneseo. I did. Not far from Rochester. Rochester
1: not far from Rochester. It was, uh, the weather was absolutely no better. The academics were much better. And it's a really kind of a funny little story here. So when I announced to my parents that I was going to transfer, they were not happy at all. And the funniest part is that my father, I said, look, I'm, you know, I also am going to change my major from phys ed. So I had dreams of being a gym teacher to English. And he was so angry with me. And he, he, had, he had written me this note that I still have that said, you know, I really hope you know what you're doing. Um, You know, here's your FAFSA, which, of course, is, you know, your student aid form that he filled out for me. And, you know, you better get it right. Love, Dad.
0: Well, there's a vote of confidence. Now, after you graduated from Geneseo, you ultimately went to law school. Did you go right away or did you take some time off?
1: I did. I went right away. Uh, I figured that if I took any time off, I probably wouldn't go back. Uh, So I just kind of kept kept the train rolling forward. And I went to New England School of Law in Boston because I I had not still hadn't figured out how much I hated the cold. And I couldn't have imagined there would be anywhere colder than Geneseo. But then I landed in Boston.
0: Now you had done a little bit of study abroad in Malta at some point.
1: I did. Yeah. So I did that between my first and second year of law school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a study abroad during law school, which was interesting, which was great. I loved it.
0: So you went to, to law school in Boston. And how was that for you the first year?
1: I think probably similar to, to most people's first year experience. You know, it's as if you speak English and they drop you in a German speaking school. You, you have no idea what's happening or what you're supposed to be doing. And, you know, there's no there's no quizzes to make sure you're on track or anything like that. You you just have your sort of final exam and hope you hope it clicks for you. Thankfully, it did. It did click for me um, somewhere before those final exams. And uh, I was actually on a full scholarship, um, full academic scholarship. And so I had a GPA that I had to maintain every semester in order to keep that scholarship. And so just a little bit of extra pressure in a situation that's already full of pressure. I had a couple of friends who said that they were going to go study abroad and suggested that I tag along. And so I took a look at the brochures and went to some little presentation, saw what the beach looked like and immediately signed up.
0: So did you study law while you were in Malta?
1: Some. Yeah. I mean, I took I think I took two classes, comparative constitutional law and some other comparative class. But we we only had a class, I think, four days a week and then three days a week to travel. And it was fantastic. I mean, the, the classes were interesting, and it was just enough class. It wasn't like an overwhelming amount of schoolwork that we needed to do. I, I do recall very clearly that I got an A in both classes. And um, I also think I got an A in, in extra travel because I did go to Italy, and I went to Spain, and I went to Sicily, and that was great.
0: Cool. Yeah. Hmm. So... What is it that got you starting to think about being a lawyer?
1: Oh, That's a good question. So my upbringing, I think, was was different than a lot of other people's upbringing who end up doing this job or just end up being a lawyer in general. I did not come from a family of attorneys or judges or anything like that. I didn't even know any attorneys growing up. You know, I came from a pretty lower class family. I mean, I graduated college when I was 21. And it just wasn't prepared to work full-time yet. So I knew that I was either going to go to school and get a master's degree in literature, or I figured I could go to law school and stay in school a little bit longer. So I figured, well, you know, do I want to be in school for another one year or three years? Eh, let's pick three. So I applied for a few different schools. I got offered that full scholarship to New England School of Law. And that made my decision for me.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. What did your friends, family, your parents say when you told them that you wanted to go to law school, be a lawyer?
1: Oh, they thought I was out of my mind. Yeah, it was very unexpected news to them. They had not known that that was something that I was even thinking about. In fact, I'm not even sure that I told my parents until I had received the acceptance letter. Yeah, they they were pretty held in on me being a gym teacher, and they they weren't thrilled um, about my sudden career change, which I know is just absolutely laughable, but it it just wasn't, it was so far outside of a job that anyone in my family would have or would think of having. It just, you know, we were very blue collar people. And so it was just very foreign, very foreign.
0: When you graduated from New England, what was your first legal job?
1: So I, well, so I actually studied abroad, not abroad, but I studied and did my final year of law school at California Western, which is down in San Diego. So almost like a study abroad, but not abroad just across the country. So my first job was a family friend or sort of a friend of a family friend who had a small civil firm in San Diego. And so I I practiced, I worked for him for about four months doing contracts and some other random civil things that I absolutely hated.
0: Well, coming over to San Diego from Boston, that must have been a big change.
1: Yeah, it was quite a culture shock, but in the best of ways. I absolutely love San Diego. I still miss it every day that I spend in the Bay. I wish I was still in San Diego. (laughs) It was absolute paradise.
0: What made San Diego paradise for you?
1: The weather, of course. I mean, I think everyone is drawn there because of the weather. I just think the, the pace of life was a little bit slower. And so it was just sort of a break from the hustle and bustle. And I just really just loved the sort of the vibe.
0: How did you happen to come to the Bay Area and start practicing criminal law in Alameda County?
1: So when I was trying to get out of San Diego, I applied for jobs all over the place. So from, you know, federal defense attorney in Kansas to, you know, Guam and all the way up here to the Bay Area. And so I just applied for a job up here. Tim Reen contacted me and had me come up for an interview. And hired me a very short time later.
0: And that apparently has gone pretty well for you.
1: It's gone pretty well. Yeah, it has. It's been, it's been fantastic.
0: What do you really like about practicing law?
1: You know, I like being able to change the trajectory, I think, of someone's life. Really just being able to be there with them through a process, being able to hold their hand when they need me to, being able to have compassion, being in a situation where I can tell them, you know, this is, this is what our plan is. This is what we're going to do.
0: Would you recommend the law as a career to a young person just coming out of college?
1: Oh, gosh, Lewis, that's a tough question. My, my gut reaction to that is no. And really, it's not to do with the actual dealing with people or helping people. That's obviously the best part of the job that we do. I would say it's the, the work-life balance, which I think many times is non-existent, especially when you're, when you're younger in your practice. I've just sort of been on this tangent lately about this hustle culture that I think that we're in the midst of right now and how toxic it is.
0: How is actually practicing law matter different from your expectations about it?
1: I was told, I think initially when I started practicing law and especially criminal defense, you know, not, not to get too close to clients, you know, obviously have boundaries and things like that. And so, you know, my expectation was that I was going to sort of be this this advocate, but that I wasn't going to care about people in a really deep and meaningful way and sort of what happened to them after they intersected with my path. And that has been, first of all, that was terrible advice. And anytime that I have an intern in my office, I tell them the exact opposite and I say, you know. You are doing your client a disservice if you don't let yourself get close to them and care about them because you will advocate in a different way if you allow yourself to care about them and their family and their children. You just, I mean, I just think that's human nature. And so I did not expect the practice to be so emotionally draining. I think that's really the main thing. I knew that it would work a lot and you know that it would be difficult in that sense, but I did not expect to have this massive network of people now that I care about, that I check in on clients, you know, from five or 10 years ago, shoot them a quick email and see how they're doing. Um, so I didn't expect that. I didn't expect the emotional attachment to people.
0: How about the business of practicing law? You know, we are business people in addition to being lawyers, and I'm wondering how that has gone for you and your partner.
1: Yeah, so I actually took over the business in 2016, which we obviously didn't advertise. But and yeah, the first year or two, I think, was extraordinarily difficult. Just a lot of lost sleep and stress and worry. I did not take any business classes in college. I had no idea how to run a business. And so that was a really, it was a really tough time to just sort of learn on the fly I also felt very much responsible for my staff and maintaining them and maintaining salaries and things like that. So I felt a lot of pressure. But now that I'm much more used to it, I'm, I feel like it integrates fairly easily into my day and my week.
0: What do you think is the best advice you've ever received?
1: Oh, well, that's a tough one. Gosh, you know, that is a really, really hard question. I, I don't know. You know, I think maybe just to continue to persevere, you know, when things are hard. You know, obviously just, you know, you just have to keep going and you just have to persevere, you just have to keep going.
0: Do you think the legal system's fair?
1: No, not at all. I was actually thinking thinking about that earlier today and uh, you know, it's just obviously the government has a lot of resources that we don't always have. Clients that have finances, you know, can secure better experts or experts in general that clients without finances can't have. I think there's sort of a misunderstanding with private defense counsel as well, where people think that, oh, well, if your client was able to retain you, well, then they obviously have money. But you and I both know that sometimes people scrape together every dime they have just to hire us. And then we're out there begging for funding you know, from the government, from the county, from the judge to secure the experts that we need. And that is a difficult process. And, you know, sometimes we get turned down for experts that we know that we really need. And that puts us in a really difficult situation. So I think that that just people with resources, unfortunately, oftentimes can fare better in the system than people without them.
0: I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. What's your family life like and how is practicing law affected that?
1: My family life is uh, still very new right now. I actually got married in September of 2020. I I bought a house just very recently. Also just moved into it in March and it's in Manteca. So, wow, I have a commute and a half, which is fine. I mean, I don't, I don't really mind being in the car. Thankfully, lots of podcasts and things like that and punk rock, obviously. So, Yeah, it's, but you know, the commute certainly is tough. Uh, My wife, thankfully, is a very understanding and tolerant human being. You have to be if you live with me because I can be a bit of a challenge.
0: Do you have any kids?
1: Uh, I have a stepdaughter. Yeah, I have a stepdaughter who is 25, lives in Texas, and I actually have a granddaughter who's two, who is just a joy. And I'm also very close to some nieces and nephews that I have who are just have been the light of my life since they were born. I mean, I see them pretty often and talk to them very regularly.
0: Now, you mentioned some of your recreational pursuits. I'm wondering if you could kind of fill us in a little bit on that. I mean, I know I've seen you, as I mentioned, at some bike events. i um, wondering if you could talk about what kind of recreational pursuits you have and if uh, that helps you clear your head from practicing law.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely, I'll start with the second part. first. Here, it definitely helps me clear my head. I need stress relief regularly and certainly training for triathlons gives me that, which is fantastic. I actually got hooked up with a triathlon club, which is called Tri-Valley Triathlon Club or TVTC for short, a couple years ago. And so I've been training regularly with the club for a couple of years and it's, it's so fantastic because it's this really wonderful team environment a lot of support, new friends, and people that have the same interests.
0: Have you ever had a job or an interest that you would pursue if you couldn't be a lawyer or if you were not a lawyer? What, what else would you, what would you do?
1: Oh, gosh. I've thought about teaching. I would love to teach either in law school or an undergrad, and I think that's you know something that, that could be in the future for me.
0: Let's say you and your wife came into some real money, say three or four billion dollars. What if anything would you do differently in your life?
1: Gosh, I would certainly buy payoff mortgages, I think for, you know, all of our immediate family members. That would be one thing I'd really want to do. Thankfully, they all live in places that are not as expensive as the Bay Area. So that would be one thing. Make sure that my, my granddaughter and my nieces and nephews are set for college. I am personally still paying back my student loans <laughs> so from undergrad, no less. And so I, I would really like for them not to have that experience. I don't find that it's very character building. Like some people say that it is, I just think it's annoying and difficult. So I would do that. My wife would tell you that she, want, she would want me to go work for the Innocence Project. She is just, just absolutely enthralled with the Innocence Project and everything that they do. And she very much wants me to go volunteer some time with them. So I suppose I'd probably have to do that, which is okay.
0: Let's say you had a magic wand and there was one thing you could change in the world, in the legal world or otherwise, what would that be?
1: I think just the the inequities of the world and very much like financial inequities, you know, sort of the differences between the haves and the have nots is startling. And And I see people all the time, you know, not just clients of ours, but, you know, I just drive to court in Oakland and the a number of people who are unhoused. I think that those are all things that I would love to address either with, you know, three or four billion dollar lotto winnings or a magic wand or some combination thereof because those those are the things that I think really make me sad on an everyday basis.
0: Melissa, anything else you want to talk about that we haven't covered?
1: I just you know I just want to say that that I am a very blessed individual. I'm not very religious at all, but I am wake up every day knowing that I am a very blessed person. I'm in a very good employment situation. Like I said, I I own this business with Mr. Cox, with Joe, and he is the most fantastic business partner in person. He is an absolute joy to run a business with. And I just feel so incredibly lucky to have found Tim and to then have found Joe and to be running this business with Joe and changing the world. I mean, we really are aware that we are changing the world every day in what we do.
0: Melissa Adams. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Louis, thank you so much for having me. Have a great afternoon.
0: That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. I promise I'll respond. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com, where you can find all of our episodes transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks as always to my guests who share their wisdom and to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. And
1: I remember her very clearly saying, you know, you could work at a bank. And I laughed and I said, like, well, I could work at a bank without a degree. So, you know, what the hell did I spend the last four years getting this college degree for?